good morning, church. You know, I'm really so happy to be here, um, sort of giving my first sermon ever. Uh, just a quick introduction for those of you who I may not have the opportunity to get to know yet. Uh, I serve as one of the leaders in, in Young Working Adult Ministry. I also serve as one of the worship leaders uh, in, in the worship ministry. Um, but of the many different ministries that I have explored, I, I can promise you this, okay? I have never once wanted to be a preacher. <laughs> you know, even though Pastor Tim has uh, mentioned that, you know, he has uh, been hinting me. But I just felt that it's really such a great privilege. Um, and it's not easy, you know, especially to a message series called, called The Faces of Faith. I mean, in my humble opinion, I feel I neither have the face nor do I have the faith. But, but I'm still very honoured to be here. Uh, I just want to thank you, Pastor Tim and, and the church for believing in the next generation. I think as a young person myself, you know, it's, it's very empowering and, and inspiring to, to be a part of, you know, building the church together and, and having our voices to be heard. So thank you so much for, for giving me this honour. Um, two weeks ago, Pastor Tim started off this uh, message series called Faces of Faith based on the book of Hebrews. And he started off by talking about the faith uh, in times of uncertainty. Looking into the faith of Abraham uh, as Abraham was making that transition, you know, going to an unknown land. But he held on to his faith until the end. Last week, we had privilege of having Pastor Peter from Dubai to, to talk to us about faith uh, for the supernatural, faith for the impossible. Looking into the life of Sarah as she was of old age, but she, you know, bore Isaac because of her faith for the impossible. So what faith are we going to talk about today? And which faces of faith uh, or which face of faith uh, exemplifies uh, this faith that we're going to touch on today? Now I'm going to share with you the anchor verse for this message. Would it be okay if you guys read it together with me? All right, let's go. Now, by faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. And by this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. The faith that we're going to look into today is a faith to live right. Or in another word, it's the faith to live a, a righteous life. You know, when I got this um, sermon brief, I, I thought to myself, you know, it, it shouldn't be that hard, lah, huh? Because righteousness is a, a common topic among churches. Plus, I've been a Christian for 10 years. You know, when my, when my friends went to pubs and clubbing, I went to church. You know, when my friends spoke foul words, I spoke in tongues. <laughs> so, I, I think I may know, you know, a thing or two about righteousness. But as I was digging deeper into, into the concept of righteousness and, and the word righteous, I found that righteousness actually means a lot more than that. It means more than just moral excellence, actually. In fact, righteousness is actually a multifaceted concept. The Hebrew word for righteous is sadik. Now, sadik is not just a, a moral concept. Sadik is actually a relational concept as well. In the post-exilic period, when the, when the Jews were, you know, coming back, returning from, from Babylon, the word setting developed and became a word where they used to describe people who fulfill the obligations of a relationship. Now, what relationship? It could be relationship between God and His people. 
uh, vice versa. Uh, it could be relationship between the king and his people, or a husband and a wife, or, or a father to a, a daughter-in-law, you name it. And in all of these relationships, there are obligations, correct? So let's say an obligation between a husband and a wife is that you, you're obligated to stay faithful to each other. A father is obligated to protect and provide for the son. And a son is obligated to respect and honour the father. So what Sadiq meant is this. One cannot be considered righteous by just fulfilling a moral code without fulfilling the relational aspect of it. Or, or to fulfill the obligations of a relationship. So I've learned that righteousness is not just about, you know, trying not to steal. Righteousness is about providing for the poor and the marginalized. Righteousness is not just about avoid committing adultery. Righteousness is meeting the needs of your spouse even though you really don't feel like it, you have an argument that morning and, and you, you're really angry but to honour your spouse and meet their needs. Righteousness is not just about coming to church on a Sunday. Righteousness is about being faithful and obedient to God, even if it means that you will lose a business opportunity. So to live a righteous life is also to fulfil the obligations of a relationship. So here's the problem. Because for me, personally, I find it easier, you know, not to murder somebody than say, read my Bible. <laughs> or I, I find it easier to not gossip or not lie than say, honor my mom when she asked me to wash my dishes. <laughs> so how, how can we live a righteous life? How can we live a righteous life in a world where building a relationship with God invites mockery and building a relationship with other people invites disappointment, rejection, or even possibly harm. So we're going to explore the answer to that together today. Um, but before we do that, uh, I just want to quick, give a quick uh, overview of what happened to the people in the book of Hebrews and how did the author encourage them to live a righteous life. All right? Now, a quick one. Uh, the people at that time, they, they underwent persecution. In Hebrews 10, it says, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction. Now, perhaps some of us here, we have not experienced persecution to that extent, but perhaps because of a Christian faith, you experience social exclusion. Maybe because of a Christian faith, you experience mockery. I heard of stories where people are removed from their family will because of the Christian faith. The people at the time, they underwent imprisonment. Now, I'm sure it's safe to say that most of us here may not have tasted jail before, but, but maybe we are imprisoned by our depression, or we're imprisoned by our selfishness, our greed, or our pride. Now, because of all these challenges that the people were facing at the time, they underwent apostasy as well. You know, I was sharing this to my life group last week, I think. I, I told them, you know, I, I've made an observation. I, I feel like the apostasy that we are going through today is actually much worse than the apostasy that the people were going through at that time. You know why? Because for those people to renounce their faith, they knew it, right? But for many people today, for them to, 
not carry that faith, to, to not build that relationship with God, you know. It, it may be something that is of our unconscious mind. We may still go to church every single Sunday, but we place our faith on money. We place our faith on ourselves rather than in God. So what did the author do? The author encouraged the people at the time to not do what is right in their eyes, but do what is right in the eyes of God. For those people at the time, it seems right to them to, to abandon their relationship with God, to, to renounce their faith because of all the challenges they're going through, right? But the author suggested otherwise. The author encouraged them to not do that, even though it makes sense in their eyes. He later on dedicated a whole chapter, Hebrews chapter 11, which is what the, this message series is based on, of all the different people who also went through persecution, who also went through challenges, yet they held on to their faith until the very end. And when it comes to the faith to live a righteous life, the author pointed to Noah. Now to understand how Noah was a righteous man, uh, it is first important to understand the world that he was living in at that time. In Genesis 6, when men began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were attractive, like me, no, kidding. And they, <laughs> and, they, <laughs> and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, my spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now, I know there are many debates and theories as to who these sons of God are, but, but we won't cover that today. The, the essence of these verses is this. God said no, but the sons of God saw what they wanted and he, they took it to themselves. God said no, but they chose to define what was right for themselves instead of trusting in God's definition of right. And because of that, verse 5, the Lord saw the wickedness of their heart and that every intention of his thought was only evil continually. God saw that there was no space for the softening of the heart anymore. God saw that there's no space for the repentance of the heart anymore. And that stems from defining what is right to ourselves instead of choosing God's definition of right. Does that sound familiar to you? It's the same challenge that the people in the book of Hebrews went through as well, wasn't it? And I reckon that it's, it's a challenge that a lot of the people here today is also facing at the same time. For it is so much easier for us to define what is right by ourselves and live according to that than trusting and living according to God's definition of right. When was the last time you did something you thought was right, but it was not to God? You know, recently I went out with a friend of mine. She's a divorced single mom. So out of courtesy, you know, because usually weekends is a family day, right? So out of courtesy when I was in her car and I just said, hey, are you sure your children are okay? You know, they're alone at home, they're still young and then you're here, you know, hanging out with me. She said, yeah, 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 sure. My, my, my children are always, you know, alone, they're independent when, plus I shouldn't spend so much time with them anyway. So I was like, oh, what, what, what do you mean you shouldn't spend so much time with them? Then she later on explained to me, she said, Vivian, you know, my divorce was cruel. One day, my husband says he loves me. 
And the next day, he deemed me unworthy and he left me. One day, my children are going to grow up and they're going to leave me as well and, and have their own lives. I don't want to go through that hurt again. You know, I can't take it. So it's better that you know, I, I keep some distance away from me and my children and I don't spend so much time with them so that I'm not so emotionally attached to them. And, and when she said that, I, I was speechless, honestly. And I really felt for her because I personally think it's not an innate desire for a mom to relate with her children like that. But you see, on one hand, she went through hurt, right? And, and pain. And, and those are very real. It, it, is it rational to protect her heart? It is. But on the other hand, is this really the best way for a mom to relate with a child? Or is this a parent-child relationship that God has in mind for all of us? I know for the matter of fact that as a daughter, as a child myself, I have a strong hankering for an affectionate and intimate and honest relationship with my mom. And I'm so glad that I have that. Because growing up, I, I feel safe, I, I feel secure, I feel loved, and I don't feel like I need to find this love from any other, other guys or anywhere else, because I have it, it's, it's sufficient through the love that my parents showed to me. But, but you see, emotional baggages are very real, right? And I'm sure all of us here sitting today, we, we have our own emotional baggages. And more often than not, these baggages are more than valid. And they are very, very real. But have we been rationalizing our unrighteous behavior because of that? Because to live a righteous life is, is not just trying to, to avoid adultery or, or avoid bribery. I mean, there is a space for that, yes. But, but to live a righteous life is also to trust, to accept, and to live according to what God defined as right. According to God's definition of righteousness. And, and that was what Noah did. Looking back into the verse just now, by faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, I mean the flood was unheard of, right? In reverent fear, constructed an ark, a huge one, for the saving of his household. And by this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By this, by constructing an ark, for an event that has yet unseen. Think about it from, from Noah's point of view. It, it does not make sense in his eyes, right? To, to construct an ark so big to fit all the animals on the land by Paris and his family for this flood that is coming, that is killing everybody. It did not make sense in the eyes of Noah, but he chose to trust what is right in God's eyes, not what was right in his eyes. And because of that, he became an heir of righteousness. You know, I, I, I personally don't think that Noah did it because he was, he was Noah, because he was this, this hero. I, I, I don't believe that he did it because his faith was more perfect than ours. He definitely did not do it because it was easy. It, it was really scary for Noah. You know, this command came to him when he wanted to establish a family with his wife. So imagine this, you're planning your family, you want, you want to build this family with your wife, then suddenly God asks you to do this. It, it disrupted his plan for the future, right? Suddenly how his future looked like looks completely different from what he has in mind. It was scary for Noah. Don't talk about constructing an ark. When I have a very long week at work, sometimes I find it tough to even just get out of my bed and come to church in the morning. Because <laughs> 11 a.m. is so early, right? 
it was really inconvenient for Noah. For those of you who do not know, that ark was, was huge. To put it into perspective, the length of the ark is one and a half American football field. Um, let's just put it this way. You can fit three NASA space shuttle lying flat on it. That's how long it was. It was higher than a modern day four-story house. It was so big that no one need 100 years to finish it. Imagine waking up every single day for 100 years doing the same labor-intensive task again and again for a flood that, is, that may or may not come. I mean, who knows? But, you know, it's because of his faith. Think about the inconvenience that he had to go through. Forget about 100 years. I cannot even fast and pray for 100 hours. It was, it was uncertain for Noah. And it was unpredictable and there was so much uncertainty. You know, when he finished constructing the ark, God asked him, okay, now that you're done, go in. Okay, they went in. God shut the door and that's it. The flood came. God did not tell Noah how long he was going to be in the ark. It was now when we read the Bible, we see that he was actually inside for one whole year, inside a rocky boat with a bunch of animals for a whole year. I remember when the pandemic started um, and the duration was indefinite, right? It was, the lockdown was like two weeks, another two weeks, then another two weeks. Man, I, I panicked, man. Um, but I have a very comfortable home to live in. I have an aircon room. I have a spine relief work chair to work on. <laughs> Noah did not have all of that. What Noah went through was like, pandemic on steroids, you know. Noah didn't do it because it was easy. Noah didn't do it because his, he was perfect or his faith was perfect. Noah did it. And he was faithful in spite of the fear, in spite of the inconvenience, and in spite of the uncertainty because he saw that God was faithful to him and his family and that he trusts that God will continue to be faithful to him and his family. You know, to be frank, when I first read the story of Noah, um, it sort of took me a while to, to understand and spot God's faithfulness in the particular narrative because it's an apocalyptic story, right? Come on, where's the faithfulness? But when I dig a little bit deeper, I, I found something really interesting, which I'm sure would intrigue you as well. You know, in the beginning when he created the earth, in Genesis 1, he gave this command to Adam, the first man on earth, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and so on and so forth. He gave a command to Noah to be fruitful and fill the earth with people. When the flood subsided, this is the command that God gave to Noah. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. God's command to Adam when he started the world was the same command that he gave to Noah when he restarted the world. And it is to fill the earth, multiply. God did not send the flood to, to wipe out mankind. God sent the flood to reinstate mankind. God did not send the flood to reject mankind. God sent the flood to reconcile with mankind. If you read the Bible, 
all the way from the beginning, from Adam and Eve to, to Noah, to Abraham, to King David, to what Jesus did for us dying on the cross and resurrect three days after. The Bible is a collection of stories, a cohesive story of the redemption of mankind. God's purpose has always been immutable and His purpose has always been to build a relationship with you and I. That is in His heart. He is a loving God and He is a relational God. Now that I read the story of Noah again, I, I actually saw that God has been the most faithful one all along. Because God remained faithful and fulfilled His relational obligations to mankind, even when we did not fulfill our relational obligations to Him. You know, many years ago, I, I got permission from my dad to say this. My, my dad had a heart attack. He wasn't a Christian at that time. So when he heard that I kept saying, you know, hey, there's this Jesus, and, and this Jesus is a God, and He's real, and, and He can heal people. So I guess it went to his subconscious mind. When he had a heart attack, he shouted for Jesus to help him. Then God, he, he felt a wave of peace in his body and God restored his health and God saved his life. My dad didn't have faith in Jesus. He barely even knew Jesus. But I saw God's faithfulness in, the, in my dad's life. Not long after, um, thank God, both my parents came to know God. Um, so we were just, you know, looking into our extended family because it's Chinese New Year, you know, we always go back. And now that we're Christian, you know, we're the only Christian in the family, we, we sort of need to like strategize, right? <laughs> we need to think about, okay, we, we should pray, we should pray for our family. And months after months, years after years, Nothing happened. I got very frustrated. I wasn't just frustrated, I was angry. I was saying, you know what? I'm not gonna contend for my family's salvation anymore, man. The last time when my family and I went back to my dad's hometown for Chinese New Year, I kid you not, one of my relatives, he, he came to me and he said, hey, there's this, um, this Jesus guy that, that you're talking about and, and he healed your, your dad, my, my brother his brother because he's my uncle from, from heart attack I'm like yeah can, can I get to know this Jesus guy a little bit more like what does he do C can I have a piece of that can you pray for me I was like sure <laughs> so I prayed for him I, I shared to him about the gospel it's uncanny but I promise you it's true the rest of my relatives they saw what was happening they were very intrigued they were interested then all of them started lining up in front of my parents and I after that uncle so that we can take turn and pray for every single one of them and share to them the message of God. Last year, we couldn't go back because of the pandemic. So we did a Zoom call session, you know, just to catch up with all my relatives. And, and they remembered the prayers that we did uh, and that we, we prayed for them and, and they wanted more and they asked us to pray for them again. And, you know, in that Zoom call, it was supposed to be like a family chit-chat, it sort of become like an online prayer rally suddenly. <laughs> God was faithful to me and my family, even when I was not. Even when we were not. You know, as we close, I, I hope that you are reminded of the time when God was faithful to you, 
even when you were not to Him. And because God, more, more than our faithfulness to Him, okay? It's because of God's faithfulness in our lives. Because He has been faithful even when we were not. We can be moved, we can be filled, and we can be compelled to live a righteous life. Because God was faithful to us, we can be faithful to Him. Let's pray. God, we thank You. We thank You for Your faithfulness in our lives, even when we were not faithful to You. And I pray that no matter the emotional baggages that we carry, no matter what it is, I pray, Lord, that You will remind us of the time that You were faithful to us. And that by Your faithfulness, we can have the strength, oh God, to continue to be faithful to You. That we have the faith and the strength, oh God, to live a righteous life. Not our definition of right, Your definition of right. And I pray, O oh Lord, as we obey to live according to Your version of a righteous life, that our lives may glorify You and give You all the glory that You deserve. We thank You, God, and we love You. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.